So we left off with Elisha is now doing what Elijah was supposed to do all along. So Elijah was supposed to anoint Hazel and Jehu, then Elisha. But he went straight to Elisha. So now we've seen Elisha anoint Haziel, and now we're going to see him anoint Jehu. But before we do that, we've got to set these kings up. So we're going to be introduced to the reign of Jehoram in the north, and then Ahaziah in the south, to set the stage for what Jehu is going to do. Chapter 8, verse 16. In the fifth year, the reign of Israel's king, Jehoram, son of Ahab, Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, became king over Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned for eight years in Jerusalem. He followed in the footsteps of the kings of Israel, just as Ahab's dynasty had done, for he married Ahab's daughter. He did evil in the sight of Yahweh, but Yahweh was unwilling to destroy Judah. He preserved Judah for the sake of his servant, David, to whom he had promised perpetual dynasty. So the narrator focuses on the king of Judah here, Jehoram. We're told that he did evil in the eyes of God. Verse 20. During his reign, Edom freed themselves from Judah's control and set up their own king. Jehoram crossed over the Zer with all of his chariots, and the Edomites who had surrounded him attacked at night and defeated him and his chariot officers. The Israelites' army retreated to their homeland, so Edom was remained free from Judah's control to this very day. At the same time, Libna also rebelled. The rest of the events of Jehoram's reign, including a record of his accomplishments, are recorded in the scroll, scroll called the Annals of the Kings of Judah. Jehoram passed away and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David, and his son Ahaziah replaced him as king. So Jehoram was evil, and he was um, basically lost control of Edom. So now we learn that Judah's lost control of Moab previously, and now they've lost control of Edom. So slowly by slowly, they're losing all the land that David had gained. All the land that David gained in the name of Yahweh, because this was the land that God promised them. And now it's all being lost over and over and over and over again. So that brings to Ahaziah, his son. Chapter 8, verse 25. In the twentieth, in the twelfth year, the reign of Israel's king Jehoram, son of Ahab, Jehoram's son Ahaziah became king over Judah. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned for one year in Jerusalem. His mother was Athaliah, the granddaughter of the king of Omri of Israel. He followed in the footsteps of Ahab's dynasty and did evil in the sight of Yahweh like Ahab's dynasty, for he was related to Ahab's family. So here's the breakdown. This is the family line. Okay, The blue is the family of Ahab. And the red is the family of David. Ahab has many sons and daughters, but the ones that are being focused on this story are Ahaziah first. Ahaziah becomes king, but he fell out of the latticework of his window, and he injured himself so badly that he died with no heir. So the brother of Ahaziah... The other son of Ahab becomes king, and his name is Jehoram. Jehoram is king, and he's ruling over Israel currently. His sister, who is the daughter of Ahab, married Jehoram of Judah. Jehoshaphat had a son by the name Jehoram, 
And Ahab had a son by the name of Jehoram. And Ahab and Jehoshaphat made a treaty with each other by marrying Ahab's daughter to Jehoshaphat's son. Jehoshaphat's son has married Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab. That means that with the birth of Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram and Athaliah, who is going to become the king over Judah, Ahaziah is now part the family of Ahab and part the family of David. And the bloodlines have been mixed. So this makes it very interesting when God makes a promise to the line of David that I will never wipe your family out completely. Yet the line of Ahab is under the judgment that I'm going to wipe out every male in your family. And Ahaziah is both. He is the son of Ahab under the curse of every male being wiped out, but he is also the son of the line of David under the promise that I will never wipe you out. And there seems to be this sense that most likely the prophecy of David's line never being wiped out trumps that of Ahab's. Because God typically leans more towards grace and mercy than he does just outright judgment for no reason. So that's what we have now. So currently right now, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, is ruling over um, Israel. And I'm sorry for that typo. That's based on the NIV, but it should be Jehoram, not Jerome. He has a general in his army by the name of Jehu. And Jehu controls the entire army on behalf of Jehoram. Then Ahaziah is currently the king over Judah. So Ahaziah is Jehoram's nephew. So what you need to know right now is that Jehoram over Israel has gone into battle. And he's been defeated and injured. And so he has gone back to his home to heal. Meanwhile, Jehu, leading his armies, is keeping the battle going and keeping it raging. Meanwhile, Ahaziah, the king over Judah, Jehoram's nephew, is visiting Jehoram, his uncle, in Judah. And they're just kind of hanging out on the piazza drinking lemonade and enjoying the relaxation Why Jehu is battling out in the fields. So that's kind of where we are. That's why I diagrammed it. So we're told in verse 28, Ahaziah joined Ahab's son Jehoram in battle against King Hazael of Syria at Ramoth Gilead, in which the Syrians defeated Jehoram. And King Jehoram returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds he received from the Syrians. And Ramah, and when he fought against King Haziel of Syria, King Ahaziah, son of Jehoram of Judah, went down to visit Jehoram, son of Ahab, in Jezreel, for he was ill. So Jehoram over Israel and his nephew, the King Ahaziah over Judah, are currently in Israel, Jezreel, relaxing and enjoying each other's company. That sets the stage for Jehu. So chapter 9, verse 1. Now Elisha, the prophet, summoned a member of the sons of the prophets and told him, tuck your robes into your belt, take this container of olive oil or flask of olive oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. So this is Ramoth Gilead, this region. It's the Transjordan part of the Jordan. It's on the eastern side of the Jordan River. 
So that is where Jehu is currently leading the armies of Israel against Ahaziel of Aram. And they're battling out there. Meanwhile, Jehoram over Israel and his nephew Ahaziah over Judah are camping out in the Jezreel here. So Elisha commands the son of the prophets to go up and anoint Jehu. So when you arrive there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and take him aside into an inner room. Take the container or the flask of olive oil, pour it on his head, and say, this is what Yahweh says, I've designated you as king over Israel. Then open the door and run away quickly. This is going to be a drive-by anointing. (laughs) What do you notice is wrong here? Yes. Who was supposed to anoint Jehu? Elijah. Now it's been passed to Elisha because Elijah refused. And Elisha is the only one who's been picked by God to continue the ministry of Elijah. And now Elisha is passing the buck to another guy. And not just a prophet, a junior prophet of a suspect guild of prophets. He's given the command to anoint him. The re- one of the reasons that Elijah refused to anoint Jehu was he was scared of Jezebel's threat to kill him. And now with everything that's politically going on here, Elisha may also be afraid that he's going to be killed by the kings of the north if he goes out into public. And you're like, wait a minute. After he's like defeated great armies and blinded the Arminians and brought victory to Israel, he's going to be afraid of the threat of a king of Israel? Yeah. You mean like Elijah defeated all the prophets and the fire came down out of the sky and he made Ahab run away and Jezebel makes a little threat and he's afraid and runs away? Yeah. Hey, remember, they're human. And you know how it is. It doesn't matter how many victories you have. Victories exhaust you. And they take a lot out of you. And then it doesn't take much when you're relaxing and you feel like it's over with for something to happen and it just triggers you. And you're set off in fear or withdrawal or panic or whatever, or anger even. And so these men are human. Now, we understand why they're failing, but it doesn't make it acceptable. It doesn't make it acceptable. And so he's going to pass this off. Now, notice the specific instructions. He is only to say, Yahweh has designated you king over Israel. That's all he's told to say. And then he's told to leave quickly. There's an urgency here and almost a don't say any more than this. But here's what's interesting. The only time that a flask of oil has ever been mentioned in the anointing of a king is with Saul. Of all the kings that have been anointed by oil, it just says they were anointed with oil. Most of you aren't even said to be anointed with oil. They just said anointed or chosen. But the only other time is with Saul. It's almost like the narrator setting you up with the fact that Jehu may not be that great of a king coming along. Pay attention to what this junior prophet does. Verse 4, so the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead when he arrived and the officers of the army were sitting there. So he said, I have a message for you, O officer Jehu asked, 
for which one of us? He replied, for you, O officer. So Jehu got up and went inside. And when the prophet poured the oil on his head and said to him, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. I have designated you king over Yahweh's people, Israel. That's where he's supposed to stop. You will destroy the family of your master Ahab. I will get revenge against Jezebel for the shed blood of my servants, the prophets, and for the shed blood of the Yahweh's servants. Ahab's entire family will die. I will cut off every last male belonging to Ahab in Israel, including even the weak and the incapacitated. I will make Ahab's dynasty like those of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And dogs will devour Jezebel on the plot of ground and Jezreel, and she will not be buried. And then he opened the door and he ran away. Now he added a whole subtext to all this stuff. He adds a lot. Now, let's, now we, this prophecy is familiar. We've already seen earlier that God prophesied the entire family, that all the males of Ahab's family are going to be wiped out. And Jehoram is the descendant of that. And Ahaziah is too. And so Jehu we know are supposed to be the king. But there are changes that the prophet's making to this prophecy. First, there's two slight changes that he makes. He was told by Elisha to say, this is what Yahweh says. Where the junior prophet says, this is what Yahweh the God of Israel says. Now you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem that big of a deal. But he's still making changes. It doesn't matter whether it's small or big deal. When God tells you to say something and you don't know the nuances of every little detail of what he's saying and it could have long-term ripple effects, you don't change anything. Right? You have no right to change the word of God no matter what. Now it's one thing for me to summarize and paraphrase the word of God from Hebrew or Greek into English, and there's no perfect translation. That's one thing. But if I'm going to somebody and giving them a direct command of how they orchestrate their life, I better get those words exactly. Especially when we don't always interpret things correctly. And that way it would be all on them for misinterpreting it and not on me. He changes that. He's probably changing this to make it clear that Yahweh, not Baal, is the one who is the God over Israel. So it might, now I don't know for sure why it's changing, but that might be the possibility, but it's still an assumption. The second slight change, he says, that Elisha says, I anoint you king over Israel, where the junior prophet said, I anoint you over the people of Yahweh. Now that is a bigger change, because he's only going to be the king of Israel. But Jehu might get it in his idea that he's now the king over the north and the south, because north and south are the people of Yahweh. In fact, he's going to interject himself into the south, politically speaking, and make political decisions there by killing the king Ahaziah over Judah. And he might think he has the right to do that because this prophet messed it all up. So maybe he would have never killed Ahaziah if the prophet hadn't said the king over all the people of Yahweh versus just the king over Israel. But here's where the big mistakes are. He makes huge additions. The first major addition is that he is to wipe out the entire family of Ahab. The prophecy never said who was to do it. The prophecy never said who was to do it. There is nowhere in the Bible 
that you get any idea that a king is supposed to do this. In fact, when Baasha wiped out the entire family of Jeroboam, even though God had prophesied that somebody would wipe out the family of Jeroboam, God condemned Baasha for doing that. And this makes it very clear that even though God wanted the family to be right wiped out, he didn't want his own people to do it. And you didn't have the right to do it for your own purposes and your own gains. Second, the junior prophet did not repeat the curse of exposure contained in the pattern prophecy. So he doesn't talk about the fact that the the birds will eat those who die in the fields and the dogs will eat those who die in the city. Third, he instead of this going against the house of Ahab, he transfers it to Jezebel. Now, God never, ever, ever said this about Jezebel being wiped out and that kind of stuff. Yet, he's transferring to Jezebel probably because Ahab's already dead. And now he's applying to Jezebel. And the other thing, that this is the big one. This shows you motives. He adds, in order to get revenge for the death of the prophets. God has never said that this is about vengeance. He has never mentioned anything about it being about the sons of the prophets. This guy is a son of the prophet. And somewhere in his mind, he's justified if the prophet Elisha has given me this task. And there is a prophecy out there against Ahab. And I know people who died at the hand of Ahab's family. And I am now the new prophet. He has married these two judgments together. And so he has taken upon himself to say, in the name of Yahweh, you have permission to wipe out the entire family of Ahab for vengeance. That is a huge mistake. Yes? Is there any reason to say why Jehu should have double checked on something before you listen to all this? Yes and no. We mentioned this a while ago. Remember the only people who know the will of Yahweh in the ancient world are the prophets. And if a prophet tells you to do something, there's no way to fact check it unless you go to another prophet. But we also know that prophets are really hard to find. And if Elisha has intentionally passed the buck onto somebody else, then there's a really good chance that he wouldn't be anywhere to be found. But not only that, and Jehu's way of thinking is, this guy is still a prophet. This guy is still a prophet. Why would he ever think to go to another prophet and fact check that? We never see that anywhere in the Bible at all. That they were like, wait a minute, let me get a second opinion on the prophet. The only time we ever saw this is when Jehoshaphat was like, these guys are definitely not godly. So he would never, ever, ever to think, let's go to another prophet and see what he says, because it's never been done. However, there is one thing that Jehu should have done and that he could have done. Ask for a sign. Ask for a sign. This junior prophet is not well established. He's so not well established that we're not even told his name. Elijah, it might be natural to not question him because he's so well established himself with many miracles that it would be obvious that this is the one that God chose. Elisha, 
well, there would be no reason to really question whether he was a prophet of God because he's so well established himself. But a junior prophet of the sons of the prophet that you don't even know when the guy comes in, that's probably where he made his mistake. There was no reason for him to ever think that he should go to another prophet to fact check, but there is every reason to think, I should ask for a sign. I should ask for a sign. And Jehu fails in the area. But here's the other thing. And this, this does not make it okay. He may never even know to do that because of where Israel is. They are so far away from God and so disconnected from the prophecies and the word of God. And even Jerome doesn't even think to even go to the prophet when Naaman comes to him. He's like, oh my gosh, why do you think I could do heal you? Well, maybe because you're the king and you're really good friends with the prophet or supposed to be. But I'm not really good friends with the prophet. So Jehu may not even know he's supposed to do this because in the paganism, you'd never fact-check the prophets. you never ask for signs. And if they're thoroughly pagan, they would never probably think to do that. So yes, that's the one thing that he would have that he could do. Yet he probably is not thinking about it because this is not the world of a true righteous nation anymore. But now Jehu literally thinks he has a divine mandate from God to wipe out the family of Ahab. And that's where he's wrong. This is the ripple effect. Is Elijah around to see this? No. But his failure to obey God has rippled throughout the generations. It has rippled through the fact that Ben-Hadad has been attacking and doing things to Israel that probably would have never happened if Haziel had been anointed. And Ahab and his children were doing things to Israel that probably would have never happened if Jehu had been anointed a long time ago. Maybe Jehu wouldn't have gotten this false message and going to do what he's going to do if Elijah would have done it himself with his own words. And then now, Elisha's passing the buck and it's rippling to that because he's probably thinking, if my master did it, then it must be okay for me to do it. And now Jehu's going to go on a killing spree thinking that God has backed it up, which is going to affect many, many, many people in the nation of Israel. And even though you're not around to see the consequences of your choices, and even though you may never think, how could that affect anybody else? It does ripple into the further generations. It does ripple into the future generations. So he runs out. Verse 11. When Jehu rejoined his master's servants, they asked him, is everything all right? Why did this madman visit you? Now, this is the reputation that the prophets now are getting in Israel, that they're madmen. And prophets were often seen as madmen because sometimes the pagan prophets would just start babbling. And they would think that there would be secret messages from the gods somewhere in that babbling. But at the same time, it's kind of like you're still a babbling crazy man. And so the prophets were respected and revered in paganism because they were touched by the gods, but they were also kind of mocked and kind of held at a distance because they still look like madmen. And now that the Israel is becoming more and more and more pagan, and these sons of the prophets might start being acting more pagan because we know that some of them seem to be okay, but some of them are coming out of Bethel, that they're beginning to see, get this reputation of being madmen just like the pagan prophets. Now, it doesn't mean this guy is a madman, but it doesn't mean that now all the prophets are getting lumped into that. And so they asked him what this madman is. And Jehu said, nothing. But they said, you're lying. Tell us what he said. Now, probably why they think he's lying is 
Prophets just don't come in and randomly pick people out of the crowd and take them into private rooms and then just walk away, and it's not a big deal. Two, it's really hard to say that nothing happened when you've got really thick olive oil dripping off of your head and down your face. So, I mean, you know about olive oil. It's not like water and you can just kind of like do your hair with it and make sure everything's okay. But olive oil is going to like give you nappy hair and all this kind of stuff. It's not something you can hide very easily. So they press him. Now, he's afraid of telling them. Because remember, we have a long reputation of generals assassinating kings and it not working out for you very well. So now he's going to go to his men and say, I'm supposed to kill the entire family of our master? That's not going to go well. So now he gets up the courage and he's like, okay, they're not going to let this go. So he told them what he had said. He also related how he, um, how he had said, this is what Yahweh says. I have designated you king over Israel. Each of them quickly took off his cloak and they spread them out before Jehu's feet and the trumpet was blown and they shouted, Jehu is king. Then Jehu's son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, conspired against Jehoram. Now that's powerful. That shows you that the army does not respect their king. Now that is not untypical, or that is not usually a surprise. Okay, if you, even the President of the United States is going to probably command less respect than the general that fights with the people in our army. And so the people that are actually in the trenches fighting with the soldiers and commanding them, and they've shown that they care about these guys' lives and they know they're by name and all that kind of stuff, is going to command a whole lot more respect than some king or politician in an office or a palace somewhere, especially when the king has left the battlefield to go recover. And so they have shown their allegiance to Jehu. Now, at that point, Jehu's like, okay. And he begins to conspire. Because now he has a command from God to kill the family. And now his men back him 100%. That's a lot of power. And if he's a general of an army, he's already used to power. And if he's a general of an army, he's already used to killing people. And now when you know that you've got God's backing to kill anybody, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. 